I mean, when you're doing these things, and if you don't know why, where is it coming from? And if you don't care enough about yourself to learn what that is, you're probably going to trip yourself up in your career. You are now connected with Enclave for Entrepreneurs at O'Hare International Airport in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Enclave O'Hare, the local to global learning and earning center for entrepreneurs and their influencers. On Wednesday, the 15th of May, 2019, we discussed something that is often not, navigating the precariousness of an entrepreneur's highly personal journey. Job creating and difference making entrepreneurs of any age or venture stage often unknowingly choose to become members of the economic social class known as the precariat. Listen in as John Dallas peels the orange on the psychological impact precarity can have on entrepreneurs, young and old. John Dallas, and uh, I have two jobs. I uh, run Hillview Partners, which is an, a, a collection of independent uh, subject matter experts in uh, technology and money and lots of other good stuff. Uh, tonight, I was very much uh, uh, my uh, Enclave role uh, in terms of being a founder and CEO of Enclave for Entrepreneurs at uh, O'Hare International Airport in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Excellent. And... Give us some background, and please, uh, please don't hold back on your uh, wait. Your, background of what? Your, Me? Your, your resume? Absolutely. <laughs> Busy. Yeah. <laughs> Entrepreneur since age eight. I was selling uh, lemonade at uh, a uh, sightseeing spot in Pittsburgh that overlooked the entire city up on a hill, uh, and uh, learned how much fun it was to collect money and uh, see smiles when they saw this eight-year-old. Uh, not only selling lemonade, but also trinkets and toys and all the other things that I was able to get away with selling. Mm -hmm. And uh, so from uh, then on, I uh, just had a keen interest in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. Uh, I didn't know it had a name, but I uh, certainly uh, felt it. There's no question. But at age 16, by that time, I thought I was going to be a Presbyterian minister or a teacher of English. And uh, the... uh, Junior Achievement Program came to recruit members at my high school, and uh, the fellow, Alan Kirkley, who got up and spoke, he said, if any of you were thinking about being priests or pastors or teachers, uh, consider business because you can preach and you can teach in the business world and make a lot more money. <laughs> and, and that I, appealed, uh, that, to you, and you? that <laughs> appealed a lot to me because I had my eye on a 1965 Mustang, and right. I wanted that Mustang so badly. And I said, "Well, let's see, money, preaching, teaching, nice." <laughs> so, but what happened is, like you know, I joined Junior Achievement. There were five thousand kids in the program, which is a lot of kids. And uh, Pittsburgh that year was the third largest corporate headquarters city in America. So it was wow. New York, Houston, and Pittsburgh. All these things were coming out of Pittsburgh when I was a little kid, and I, and I was just always uh, aware of this innovativeness of that steel city. So people thought of it as a, as a, a steel-only city. Oh my goodness. I mean, steel barely played a role in, in our uh, mindsets back then. It was uh, all the uh, technology that was coming out so far ahead of the curve. 
So at 16 in, in junior achievement, I had the privilege of being elected president right away to a small mock-up company, and it became the number one company of the year. And then I did it again the next year, and the same thing happened. And the next year, the same thing happened. And then Junior Achievement was about to celebrate its 50th anniversary. This year, it's its 100th anniversary, wow. coincidentally. I did not know that. So 50 years ago, they picked me as their spokesperson for their 50th anniversary. And here I am, a half century later, still, <laughs> still talking about how wonderful it is to yeah. have a program that's based on mentorship. So if you're a high school student and you're a part of the Junior Achievement program, you're paired with some of the best minds in town, wherever mm-hmm. you are around the country. So Junior Achievement really put me on the path that I'm on now. And uh, my mentor, uh, uh, Frederick Schuchman, who was CEO of a company called Homestead uh, Industries, they made valves for U.S. Um, submarines, for Navy submarines, and they invented the uh, steam pressure cleaners that you see on sidewalks and buildings. That, you know, that was their, their uh, invention. But he, uh, he took me under his wing and really, really decided that I was going to learn how to do it right. And mm-hmm. he took me to his private club. He took me to his offices. He did all these different things to make sure that I learned the way to, to uh, navigate all this, uh, this uh, craziness. And, uh, you know, here I am all these years later having launched uh, seven companies that uh, had a considerable value and uh, – uh, the company that I launched uh, when I was 24 is probably the one that I uh, enjoyed the most before Enclave. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so I, that may be uh, too much information, but that's uh, no, it's perfect. So and it, and it and it, I'm purposely leading you, you here, so I want uh-oh. now I want to hear because it's it's you and the Morrisons, right? And and obviously this is a public-private partnership with um, you know Elk Grove Village here, and a lot of uh, forward-thinking individuals involved in this whole entire. Oh. You organization and process. Yes. And I, I I think it's very important that for the folks that are listening, we're episode whatever now. Um, very, very high level, please. What is Enclave? And then I want to hear, John, from you personally, uh, because I know this is highly personal for you. Why Enclave? Hmm. Why why is this whole entire thing hmm. come up? How, how, why and how has it come about? Well, But this is supposed to it's supposed to be a very short broadcast. Yes, <laughs> no, yeah, so I know. I don't. I don't know how to do that in a, in a short period. But but enclave unto itself is it's 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 a community. Number one. So the the people you mentioned, Dr. David Morrison uh, Jr., who's uh, uh, appeared to me, and then his son David Morrison, uh, both uh, organizational psychiatrists, uh, with whom I've worked now for about five or six years on. How do we think differently about the entrepreneurial existence, the Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial experience? And uh, to take the entrepreneur and say, all right, let's set your venture aside. Let's set your profitability, your business plan aside and talk about you as a human being and what's going on inside of you that allows you to navigate all this peculiarity, uh, these these, uh, ambiguous responses you get from the marketplace, the uncertainty you have of uh, your financial security, things of that nature. Where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. And so with uh, with their clinical background and my practical background, uh, more of an empiricist than a, uh, anything else, clearly we, we have a, a sense that we're onto something different. Mm-hmm. And so this is not an incubator. It's not an accelerator. We call it an illuminator. Uh, so here light shines on different parts of your brain. And if, if we were inside your brain watching what goes on during one of these classes, you'd see little beams of light 
turning on in different parts of the brain, and I mean that. Yeah, in neuroscience. In terms of neuroscience, yeah. absolutely. So uh, tonight we, we, uh, we tackled some really tough topics, and for me they were tough, and I think that relates to your question of me. So personally, this is really important to make sure that the ups and the downs, the scars, the, the, the things that went right, the things that went wrong in a career that has spanned four, 45 some years uh, in terms of actually being a productive job creating entrepreneur, that uh, I want that to matter to other people. It matters to me. It keeps me going. Mm -hmm. uh, when people have said, why don't you retire? I said, you got to be kidding. <laughs> it's not in my DNA. Mm -hmm. You know, Scots never retire. Yeah, <laughs> so, true. We, we don't. Uh, but the, uh, uh, you know, the idea of making sure that we pass on the focus, the, the intense focus on the human being, not just the venture. It's so much easier to talk about a person's company. Uh, talks, uh, talk about a person's degree, talk about a person's neighborhood, a, a person's sport, than to talk about that person's brilliance, that person's creativity, that person's innovativeness, mm -hmm. that person's persistence, resilience. Uh, the resiliency of an entrepreneur is just a remarkable thing to study. Yeah. So this is exciting to me at this stage of my career. Well, we, we appreciate you all coming together and creating this because I know it's going to impact a lot of people for many, many years to come. Well, it's a team. I mean, with with uh, Andrew Dewar and with uh, with uh, with you, Scott uh, Brown, and all the other people who are volunteering, as I am. Mm -hmm. uh, some people believe we're we're making money here. Yeah, we're, we're not. Nope. <laughs> it was set up, it was set up as a nonprofit organization. We're, we're so we're not focused on the financial, but the um, uh, the opportunity that that we we have here is to set a standard that could be adopted by incubators and accelerators. We're not asking them to stop what they're doing, but to add to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So please fo focus on the person. Tonight we had two young young fellows who uh, just won a, a pitch competition for a high school in our district, and uh, remarkable young people. And you heard one of them say, well, we never really heard about the psychological side of being an entrepreneur. Of course they don't. Right. It's not built into the ecosystem yet, mm -hmm. but with Enclave uh, O'Hare uh, and uh, the next one we hope is Enclave LaGuardia, mm -hmm. and the next one will be in Enclave Edinburgh, Scotland, if all goes well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so on my way over there in a couple of days yeah. to, to get that uh, started. Yeah. But the, uh, the idea of making sure that we focus on the person first, the venture second, and profitability third, that is totally contraindicated to the way investors think and to the way our society works. But it is the way to cure the failure rate. So if people are failing because they haven't focused on themselves, they've mm -hmm. only focused on their product development or on their numbers, if that's the reason they're failing, let's change it. Mm -hmm. Let's say, let's focus on your competence. Let's make sure that you have a sense of, of, of confidence that's based on competence. And uh, let's make that happen. Yeah. You know, you, earlier you mentioned... Um, and, and we allude to this a lot, I feel like, in, in today's society about the, you know, frankly, the sexiness of an entrepreneur, of being an entrepreneur and that, you know, oh, that's that's the dream to be your own boss. Right. And, um, you know, all the great things that can potentially come along with that after many, many years of struggle and hardship. And that is what tonight was about. And, and the term that you brought to light tonight that I have not heard prior to preparing for this night and for having this conversation is the term entrepreneurial precariat. Yes. So yes. Uh, I'm going to make a, a 
guess here that most of the folks that are listening to this probably have not heard of it or uh, understand it in the way that you're describing it. So please enlighten us. Well, I, I, I think the, the, the baseline would be to understand the proletariat. Yep. So, so in terms of social structure and, and uh, the, the way we've thought about proletariat over the years, that you, you prepare people to uh, contribute to the workforce. Mm-hmm. So these people who join the proletariat, by definition, are people who earn a salary. They earn, earn wages. Uh, they have benefits. They have... Uh, some level of financial security, with which they buy homes, they buy cars, uh, they uh, clothe and feed their children, and all of these things that are built into our society uh, in terms of uh, financial security that gives um, uh, social uh, uh, stability to, mm-hmm. to, a, to a country, to a, to a community, a neighborhood. Um, what we don't do is we don't say, if you go through college to become an entrepreneur, and we need you to become an entrepreneur because new jobs come from new ventures, and we as a society need you. By the way, did you know that you're going to fit into a named social class, economic class, called the precariat? And that precariat means that you are agreeing, you're choosing to live a fairly, relatively speaking, precarious life. So you're not necessarily going to be guaranteed that all of your investment, all of your time, all of your energy is going to produce even enough to pay your rent. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we eat a lot of ramen noodles, yeah. <laughs> things of that nature. But the, the transparency on the part of the education process that has to be woven into our culture, uh, to me, it's, a, it's an issue of what's called, what are called social ethics. So how can you build an education system that doesn't say to a student, yes, you're going through this university program in entrepreneurship, you have all this school debt to get this degree. By the way, when you graduate and start a business, you are not necessarily going to have the money to pay your school debt back. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, we, we didn't warn you about that because we didn't want you to pull out of the program because we need entrepreneurs. We mm-hmm. need to have these new companies to build these new jobs. Mm-hmm. So the precariat is a, a life that you're agreeing to that for a period of time, it might be three years or five years, hopefully not longer than five, <laughs> you're going to live a fairly precarious financial existence. Then, boy, if you hit it big, you hit it big. And what I mean by hitting it big, you can pay yourself a reasonable salary. You mm-hmm. can pay for your own health care, things of that nature. Right. But that'll take time. It does. And I, you know, I think the word that we use often – the word I would use is risk. Yes. But you enlightened us tonight that that's really actually <laughs> that's, not the proper term. That's not term. the right uh, term. And and, uh, and the reason that it's not, not let, let's put it this way, it's not the best term. Yeah. Um, so you, I, I, don't think, I don't think in our society we can separate the word risk from entrepreneurs. We can't. It's too ingrained in the way we operate. But uh, risk, the way I understand it from my, my background, is uh, risk can be measured. Uh, what the entrepreneur does cannot immediately be measured. So what the entrepreneur has to manage is not risk. He has to manage or she has to manage the uncertainty, the ambiguity, the, con- the conflict, the combustion, uh, the lack of, sh- of uh, clarity that they have as they're getting something brand new off the ground. And as we talked about tonight, the, the almost metaphysical nature of taking an idea and suddenly that idea creates jobs, creates um, uh, the ability to buy houses, to buy cars, to fuel a community with 
with not only financial strength, but also the fuel of innovativeness. So if you know that somebody that lives next door to you has just made a, a killing in the marketplace with a brand new idea, they've just come up with an app or a, a new uh, programming language, or they come up with a new uh, uh, electric vehicle or autonomous uh, something or other, um, the, the, the fact is that fuels a community to be more active, psychologically more active. They, people are talking about something other than sports, uh, talking about something other than weather. Can you imagine in Chicago talking about something other than weather? <laughs> uh, I admittedly had a phone call today with a guy out of uh, Pennsylvania, and I asked him what the weather was like first uh, thing off the Did bat. you really? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> as opposed to, how's your entrepreneurial venture going? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, talk about Pennsylvania, you think of my hometown and, uh, or birth town as I talk, it, talk about it, uh, but uh, uh, Pittsburgh, where, where robotics and, and uh, high tech is just booming with Connor, Car- uh, Carnegie Mellon University and uh, University of Pittsburgh in healthcare. And so the innovativeness of that um, city that keeps reinventing itself, reinventing itself, Time after time after time, mm-hmm. when coal went down, when steel went down, Rockwell International, the, the builder of the space shuttle was there. When that, when that shifted, that city thinks entrepreneurially. Entrepreneurship has been in that culture, in the DNA of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania since 1773. Wow. And so you can trace it back and you say, wow, these people know how to innovate their, themselves out of every corner they get pushed into. Yeah. You want to, and I think the whole theme of Enclave is is to honor these folks that are taking this step into the precariat. They are, you know, dealing with this uncertainty and this ambiguity and all these kind of things. But yes. tonight, uh, one of the comments that was made is that um, hope is, is redactive. Yes. And, you know, I would think that in a, in a friendly area like the Midwest in the, you know, Chicago suburbs – if somebody were to uh, say to me prior to me coming here and getting an understanding of what all goes into psychologically starting your own venture, mm-hmm. well, I hope that everything works out pretty well. Yes, yes, and the the the, the term is reductive. So sorry, so, yep. I, I know that, that's all right. Uh, but but um, so it's reductive because the what what you're really feeling, what you're really thinking, is this is going to work. Stick with that because mm-hmm. that's will. Mm-hmm. So this will work is what your brain is saying. But mm-hmm. something inside, uh, the hope button gets switched. And you say, well, I hope this works. Mm, I, we, we, don't, we don't think that's the best neuroscience. So if you say it will work, I will make it work. Mm-hmm. I will do whatever it takes to make this work. I will stick with it mm-hmm. until it works. That's not hope. So if I if I said to a would-be investor, mm-hmm. I'd say, well, I really hope this works. Uh, he would uh, really hope that I would walk out of his office. I yeah. Don't, I don't think that would that would uh, wor- uh, work at all. Right. But if I did say, this will work, and, and he would, or she would easily say, why do you believe it would work? Why do you believe it will work? And the answer would be, here are the data that I've collected. Here is the experience I'm bringing to the table. Here is the team that I've assembled to mm-hmm. counterbalance whatever the needs are that aren't met by others on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this makes me sure this will work. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean it will work? 
No, but what it does mean is we will work, right. work, work. Right. We'll work it until we can't. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why hope is reductive. You know, it, a lot of it, that a lot of what we've learned, I think, in, in here tonight and, and just in general is I shouldn't be motivated by money. I shouldn't be motivated by wanting these things and all those, those you know, more, um, I guess, physical things that you can go out and buy. And, okay, now I have this. Now I've made it, all those kind of things. And you guys talk a lot about how that's really not the proper motivation or, or what should be the thing that drives and, and the term that you use is uh, kind of that entrepreneurial energetic. Yes. And and you've already talked about it a little bit tonight, but can you talk more to that? Because I think that there are a tremendous amount of people and, and we chatted about this actually yesterday mm-hmm. where um, you, you come to the realization that, okay, oh shoot, you know, when we practice metacognition and we're thinking about our thinking, oh, I've been doing that wrong for a period of time. Yes. And um, now as you move forward, that's, that's okay because you've identified and now we're going to drive our competence forward and higher, right? right? In regards to these, these right reasons why we're, why we're wanting to be part of this entrepreneurial ecosystem and those kind of things. So that was kind of a loaded question. I said a lot there, but that please was a lot. share, no, share, no, I, share I, I think I thoughts. should interview you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you understand this better than I do. Um, but the, uh, I, I, the, the clarification is that research has shown that money doesn't necessarily um, proved to be the motivator for for most entrepreneurs in terms of the, the research. Uh, that what uh, what is the motivator is significance. They they want to be significant in their field of endeavor. They want to be significant in their family unit on one level. Uh, another level is significant in their uh, communities, uh, things of that nature. But significance, relevance, sense of place uh, is what's motivating some people. Uh, those are kind of soft. Um, terms for mm-hmm. some people. So they camouflage it by saying, I can't wait to be the next billionaire. I can't wait to build a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you peel that a little bit and you peel the orange as opposed to the onion, yeah. you know, and it smells good um, <laughs> as you peel that orange. But as you peel it, you find out that that person really cares about his industry and wants, you know, he wants his product or her product to, to be uh, valuable to right. The buyer, that's exciting. But I, I, uh, I, I believe, having coached so many um, high-performing entrepreneurs, that when you focus solely on the money, uh, you're deluding yourself. You actually have something going on inside of you that your self-awareness is not tapping. Mm-hmm. And so if it is that you really care terribly muchly about, about your buyer, mm-hmm. say it for crying out loud. Admit it. Like, mm-hmm. I really care about my client. What's wrong with that? You know, I mean, that's fantastic. I care about my buyer. Well, we use the word, you know, vulnerability. Yes. And it's like, I I view that whenever we say that, um, uh, there's nothing wrong with admitting that, like what you're saying. Like I, as a person, want to add value in this situation genuinely. Yes. And by the way, that usually leads to dollars down the roads when you add value. Which is nice. There's nothing wrong with dollars right, down the road. Right. But, you know, I, I wish I could remember the term, and perhaps in your notes you have it, but Dr. Morrison used a term tonight that uh, referred to the machismo that, that comes in. And he wasn't necessarily talking about men only. He was, yeah. You know, this was for women and men who yeah. were in the entrepreneurial space. And uh, so this, this uh, cloak of machismo uh, which he had a much more clinical. It's uh, the word that he used was toxic masculinity. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yes, and that that's was the, the term. that's the um, you know this shell that you have to uh, kind of go out into the world with, and you know, well, I can I'm a 
you know, tough guy. I can take this. I'm, you know, if my investor completely takes my idea and says that it's garbage, you know, that's okay because I'm, I'm a rough, tough guy. No, you're definitely <laughs> right. going to feel bad right. about that. Right. Right? right. Like if I, as a salesperson bomb in a sales presentation, because I thought that the buyer wanted one thing and I didn't right? like, there's no way that I am not going to have that t- take a hit to my ego yes. and then I'm going to feel yes. bad about it. Right. But once you understand what your motivation is to, to um, skip meals, um, uh, forget about vacations, uh, work 16, 18 hour days, uh, stay up 36 hours working on a new app development uh, over a, a, a hackathon kind of weekend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're doing these things and if you don't know why, where right. is it coming from? And if you don't care enough about yourself to learn what that is, you're probably going to trip yourself up in your career. Yeah. So as you're building your business with that little amount of curiosity about who you are, mm-hmm. your own self-awareness, mm-hmm. if you're that um, disconnected from yourself, there's a possibility that that you'll be less effective as a as an entrepreneur. We could go on and on, couldn't we? We could. We could, but I think our executive producer would stop us. <laughs> I think so. Well, let's, uh, you know, I always I always ask a wrap-up question, and I think the uh, validity that the folks that come to this building bring is pretty amazing. Yes. And what I mean by that is that you ran many, it ran and created and ran many organizations mm-hmm. that employed many, many people mm-hmm. over several years. Um, and we have people now that are teaching at Northwestern, one of the best business schools in the country. Uh, and you know they're on private equity boards, and they've ran billion-dollar companies, you know, right. and, and those right. kind of things. So I think that there's often times where I can start, and I've gotten far better at marrying these two things. But the folks of substance, like yourself and all these other people that have this experience, are talking about it. Really, has absolutely nothing to do with business. We are truly talking about an individual and their psychology. Mm-hmm. And we're just now in 2019 here flipping that and, and going about it in the people first, uh, venture second, profits third. Yes. Um, yes. So it seems to me just because I've been around it so much now and around such uh, brilliant minds that, of course, of course, but of it's course. still so experimental and so mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that is? Because it's easier to talk about inanimate objects because we don't feel competitive with that car necessarily. We may want that car, but we don't feel that car is us yeah. when we see that Aston Martin going down the street. We just say, oh, there I am. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I'd like to be in it. <laughs> sure. That might be the case. But the uh, the issue is, is interesting. When we're sitting across the table from somebody who's truly committed to her work, Mm-hmm. And she is just vibrating with excitement about the business that she started and the six employees that she's hired over the past three years and her team that she's put together. Um, there are people who react to that with envy, which is corrosive. It's not necessary to do that. So it's, ugly. It's, it's so ugly. Uh-huh. And uh, as you've heard Dr. Morrison's, both doctors Morrison say, that envy is one of the most destructive of responses that we can have in any situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in, in terms of entrepreneurial uh, communities that are, that are building and, and that are essential to the, the future of our country, uh, we have to understand that when somebody is revealing a new idea, that's to trigger ideas, curiosity, innovativeness in us 
Yeah. You know, we're, so academicians get around and they, they have their salons, as they're called. They, 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 st- they sit around and talk about philosophy or a new book or a new uh, uh, award that's being uh, uh, offered or something. And it's to stimulate each other's brains, not necessarily to compete. Yeah. You know, it's like, like what, do, what do we do to build each other into better um, thinkers? Yeah. And, uh, and that's why we talked tonight about the, the, um, the extra attention to intelligence. Let's, let's streamline, let's improve the way we use in our intelligence, human intelligence. Here mm-hmm. we are talking so much about artificial intelligence, machine learning. Mm-hmm. Great, we have to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But to not talk about can we think better while we're worried about machines thinking better, Ooh, illogical, illogical, mm-hmm. counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not what happens in this building. I mean, we're this building is all about the human brain, the human mind thinking more effectively about how it's thinking about its thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that's called... Metacognition. Metacognition. You got it. And with that, we will wrap this episode up. But I can assure you, this conversation is to be continued. Thank you, Scott, for all you do here at Enclave. I appreciate it, John. Thank you very much. Thank you. At least for the number of years normally required for ventures to produce sufficient revenue to support steady salaries, bonuses, health care benefits, paid vacations, pension contributions, and other compensatory stability, precarity has a direct impact on each individual's quality of life. For many, the uncertainty, ambiguity, and other unpredictability are worth the disruption to relationships, finances, sleep patterns, nutrition, etc. In various forums, education institutions, banks, and government authorities are hearing from Enclave's co-founders and advisors cutting-edge ways to rethink supporting each entrepreneur through the precarity that almost always accompanies the decision to launch a scalable venture. For more information on our third Wednesday of every month masterclass in applied metacognition, please visit enclaveforentrepreneurs.com.